all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have two guests. I have Dr. Cindy Luther. She is a family nurse practitioner at Rush Medical Group in Meridian. And I also have TJ Harvey, who is the Interim Executive Director at Alzheimer Mississippi. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So if you have a question or a comment or a story you'd like to share, we're open to all of those things today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 As always, you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming in on a Monday morning. I know, I don't know about y'all, Monday mornings are not, they're not great at my house. It's a little bit of a hot mess. Um, we're a little bit in denial that the weekend is over with, um, but I'm glad y'all were able to make it down here and talk with us today. So uh, kind of briefly tell our listeners what it is that you do and why you're so passionate about this particular disease. We'll start with you, Cindy. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've specialized in care of older adults, so I've encountered many older adults with memory problems, including Alzheimer's dementia. Also, my grandfather had dementia. Uh, I don't believe he was ever diagnosed Mm -hmm. with Alzheimer's disease, but we dealt with memory problems and thinking problems and behavioral problems Mm -hmm. for many years. Mm -hmm. What about you, TJ? Um, I got involved with Alzheimer's Mississippi about five years ago. And I've had two family members that have been diagnosed and um, died from Alzheimer's disease. I had a great uncle and a grandfather. Mm -hmm. So it has hit close to home. And, you know, to be a resource for, you know, our communities and our families, and then also to advocate for legislation and policy to change and to get people to talk about the disease and to talk about brain health. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So all great things that are going on. And, you know, Cindy, you kind of mentioned, um, your grandfather had dementia, right? And so I think that the terms are used interchangeably a lot. We'll say, you know, Alzheimer's and then we'll say dementia. Are they the same thing or are they kind of um, shades of, of a similar disorder? I would say that the term dementia is like the umbrella term. And underneath the umbrella term, there are several different causes of dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's being one. Uh, vascular dementia being another, and then things like normal pressure hydrocephalus or Lewy body dementia, frontal temporal lobe dementia. Right. So different types. Different types. With different causes. It's just the one we tend, Alzheimer's is just the one we tend to hear about more, um, I think. Um, You know, and I think a lot of folks um, that may not have ever gotten a formal diagnosis just tend to, to... lump folks who have any type of dementia into kind of the bucket of of Alzheimer's uh, disease. You agree with that? I agree with that, right. Right. 
You as well, TJ. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it makes up, oh, you know, an Alzheimer's disease makes up well over half, almost 60 to 70 percent of that mm-hmm. dementia diagnosis. Right. So it is by and large the most common and, of course, the most talked about. But we still uh, we still need people to know more. Right. So that's why we're here kind of spreading awareness about um, Alzheimer's is so that folks uh, can understand uh, the struggle that can happen when someone is diagnosed um, with any form of dementia, really, um, and some of the resources that you guys have available to help with that. And so those are some of the things we're going to be covering today. If you've got a question or a comment, now's a really good time to give us a call. We've got open lines, and that number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. So um, let's let's kind of start to talk about some of those um, early signs or symptoms that may indicate there's some kind of cognitive issue going on. Because um, I know, I mean, people will joke and you'll hear folks say, oh, gosh, you know, where are my car keys? I lose them every day. I must have dementia. And that's really not not all it's cracked up to be. But there are some early signs that we can can look out for. Right. Right. Um First loss is with very recent events or okay. learning new skills. Generally, remote memories are well-preserved. Okay. So our longer-term longer memory term, stuff. Right. Okay. Long-term memory is more preserved. But inability to handle finances, balance a checkbook, mm. and all, getting lost mm. in what was a familiar location. Okay about organizational skills? Do those kind of fall in there as well? So kind of executive functioning mm-hmm. type processes, something that was kind of second nature to you initially, but now you're having trouble remembering how to do those things, right? Right. Okay. Right. What else? Like trouble learning new information. Okay. As I said, the more remote, the older information mm-hmm. is retained in the brain for a while, mm-hmm. but the area that captures new information mm-hmm. is first damaged. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone that you think might be having problems with these types of things, how do you how do you approach that situation? Because I can imagine if you don't realize that you're having difficulties with that, that can be a difficult conversation to start, right? It's very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. My advice is for a caregiver to say, let's go in for a checkup. Okay. You need a good checkup because that is what the person needs. Mm-hmm. That's not being deceptive. It's mm-hmm. not lying. The person does need to generally start with primary care who will do an assessment, mm-hmm. do some lab work, imaging, like brain scans, mm-hmm. and then most likely refer to neurology for okay. more Exact testing. Right, more specific type of stuff going on there. TJ, do you have any kind of recommendations for how to start that conversation? Well, to go off of what Cindy was just saying, I think it's important for us to also remember that Alzheimer's disease isn't a normal part of the aging process. Mm -hmm. It is a brain degenerative disease that goes through stages. And, you know, if there's no other chronic or health issues, it can be the cause of death. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for people to remember that, that it's not just forgetfulness, that it is a disease process. But, um, but yeah, to have that conversation, to make it easier, to make sure that there are no underlining health issues. Um, Severe depression can mimic some of the symptoms, Mm -hmm. Uh, UTIs, thyroid problems, Mm -hmm. vitamin B deficiencies. So as Cindy was just saying, getting that thorough checkup 
you may find out that there's an underlying problem that you can alleviate or find a different diagnosis that you know some of these right. symptoms can be mimicked by other things mm-hmm. and sometimes i can imagine that you can have both right you can exactly. start to have some exactly. dementia but then you can also have um, one of these comorbid conditions you mentioned you know uh, b vitamin b deficiencies mm-hmm. um you know i find those much more um prevalent than people give them credit for, um, especially that B12 deficiency, you know, depending on what medications folks are on for other chronic illnesses, Mm -hmm. some of the diabetes medications, while important, do kind of prevent you from absorbing B12 as well. And so, you know, if we've got individuals who have had diabetes for a while and are on uh, metformin, then that's definitely something that we want to check out because while we may also have dementia, we want to be as well functioning as we can be. And if we've got an underlying you know, vitamin deficiency or a thyroid issue or something like that, we want to correct that as much as we can so that we have the best outcomes. Right. Um, so that good checkup um, is really important. Now, do you recommend somebody goes with them for that checkup? Most certainly. <laughs> Most <laughs> <Okay>. certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I often see, um, you know, daughters coming with, um, or sons coming with parents. Um, in my younger population, I see husbands coming with wives and wives coming with husbands. And it usually always adds richness to the history that is provided because what one person doesn't want to own up to, the other person will sell you out and tell all your secrets about those kinds of things. And so I think it's important to have someone who's there that's be able to be supportive, but always, you know, always ask permission. I always ask permission when someone is in an exam room with someone. I'll say, before we start talking about any of these things, is it okay if we discuss these things with, you know, your significant other or your daughter or whoever's in the room with you there? And I would imagine that transpires into the same realm as well because the patient's still in charge. Exactly. The patient is still in charge. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to have a conversation outside the room and have a patient sitting in the room knowing that people are talking about them because denial might be part of the issue. Mm -hmm. There may already be some thoughts that people are persecuting them. Mm -hmm. So you want to be honest and upfront in Mm -hmm. front of the patient. There there are times that a caregiver needs to tell you something that they don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. addressing. It Mm -hmm. may make the patient more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so we go to that first initial visit, and we get there, our kind of general workup that we're talking about, which is important regardless of whether we think we have you know, some cognitive impairment or dementia. That good checkup, at least annually, is important just to make sure all of our bits and bobs are working like it's supposed to. Um, but you know, nothing kind of comes out on lab. And I know we were talking before the show, a lot of times folks who come in and ultimately get diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, uh, don't have a whole lot of abnormalities on lab work. They're pretty healthy otherwise in terms of a, like a physical body health, right? Right, right. And yeah, and then so, we'll get some maybe advanced imaging or different kinds of things that will start to point to perhaps a different pathology that's going on there. And that can be hard because physically they feel well, Right. Right. But, you know, but from a mental standpoint or a cognitive standpoint, um, I would imagine a lot of frustration then comes up for for folks who um, feel well in their body, but don't necessarily feel well in their head. Right. Right. And depending on the stage they're in, Mm -hmm. by the time people are diagnosed, they may have moved past being cognizant of the changes that they're going through. So they, they may 
deny everything because they just don't realize that that part of the brain is not functioning. So they see themselves as fine mm-hmm. and having no problems mm-hmm. whatsoever. Okay. Meanwhile, the caregiver might report really unusual behaviors. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So there's some interesting things to think about. We're going to go take our first break of the show. If you've got a question or a comment about dementia or about Alzheimer's disease, we're happy to answer those today. Or if you just have a story you want to share, we'd love to hear that. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 My email is fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a few. podcast. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and I'm joined today by Dr. Cindy Luther. She's also a nurse practitioner, but at Rush in Meridian, as well as TJ Harvey, who's the Interim Executive Director for Alzheimer's Mississippi. And we've been talking about Alzheimer's and dementia today. If you have a question or a comment, or if you have a personal story related to um, Alzheimer's, we're happy to answer the question or hear those stories today, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 right, we are going to go on over to the phone lines because we do have a caller um, in Memphis. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. How are I you? I have two questions okay. for you. All right, lay them on me. Could surgery, the anesthesia from four surgeries in one year, could that affect your memory and can stress affect it? All right. Um, I'm going to take the stress one um, because absolutely stress and anxiety as well as um, depression can all affect um, our our mental functioning and our memory. Um, what I tell folks is think about, especially if you have a lot of worry or a lot of stress, about 85% of what we worry about or stress about doesn't happen. Um, but we spend an enormous amount of energy um, thinking about the stress, thinking about the worry, and planning for the what-ifs in life. Um, whereas if we can can figure out how to um, stop the worry cycle, then we're able to focus more on other things and preserve some of that memory there. Cindy, you have anything to add to that? If you want to move on to the anesthesia question. Oh, she's ready. <laughs> Get to it. Okay. Question about anesthesia. Uh, yes, the effect of anesthesia can be lasting on memory, not necessarily permanent, though. That's what I would say to you is mm-hmm. that, that doesn't mean you're going to develop Alzheimer's disease or another okay. dementia. But four surgeries can affect memory, but not necessarily long term. If your symptoms or concerns continue, I would say address that with your primary care physician Mm -hmm. and make sure that all the other possible causes of memory problems have been explored. Okay. 
All right. Okay, thank you very much. Enjoy your program. Thank you so much for giving us a call, and thanks for listening. And guys, if you're out there listening and you have a question or a comment, you can certainly send that to us now. Uh, that email is fit at mpbonline.org if you want to do it that way. Or you can get on the air with us by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring all right um over the break we were talking about uh the healthy brain right because you know i am a a lifestyle medicine provider and so i am fully invested in um the impact of lifestyle choices on disease but a lot of folks think when i say the word lifestyle medicine that i'm just talking about diabetes or heart health or those kinds of things but brain health is a very important and there are things that we can do to keep our brain as healthy as it can be doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be able to prevent all cases of alzheimer's or all cases of dementia but we can make our brain as good as it can be for as long as it can be right that's correct all right tell me about some of these kind of healthy lifestyle habits that are good for the brain yes well you know we have um a program that we've been working with called activate your brain which takes eight pillars of brain health and we you know bringing all these things together can you know improve brain func- function improve overall brain health and so one of the things that we've been talking about is trying to change that conversation about the brain mm-hmm. you know we have that conversation about the heart we have it about our weight um we're not having it about the brain right and you know it's those little things like when we talk about did you sleep well last night mm-hmm. did you Get all six or eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. Did you know that was good for your brain? You're helping your brain health. You're helping it recharge and prepare for the day, reducing stress. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's trying to change that conversation. Exercise. There are so many studies out now that have shown that exercise can improve or can increase the size of the hippocampus, Mm -hmm. which is the portion of the brain where memory is kept and stored. And in, and that part of the brain is where Alzheimer's disease impacts the most, where we get the hallmark of memory loss. And through these studies, some of them are still hypothetical, but right. there's a lot of studies out there that this part of the brain can be increased over time. So getting younger people, younger generations start thinking about their brain health. Like, oh, in my 30s and my 40s, if mm-hmm. I start doing this. I can increase that size, delay the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease if I were to develop it. But, you know, overall, you're giving your you're protecting your brain for the long term. Yeah. And I think it's important when we talk about exercise that we talk about just movement, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, when we say the word exercise or when I tell, you know, a patient we need to start exercising, they kind of go like, I'm not going to the gym and I don't like to sweat. And, you know, those are the ones that I hear a lot. And really, we're talking about just movement, you know, not being sedentary, mm-hmm. so not sitting the majority of the day and doing some type of movement. And so, you know, that may be for someone who is not moving much currently, just, you know, walking around their house mm-hmm. or walking to the mailbox and back and those kinds of things. And as you do that, you're able to go a little bit farther every day. But it's important to have some type of movement incorporated into your day. And so I'm kind of going to read out those um, eight pillars of brain health that we were talking about. One is staying active, um, eating well, which, you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know um, that I can talk for hours and hours and hours on how to eat well. And so we won't do that today, but I will point you back um, to our prior episodes on nutrition um, for um, more information about that. 
um, sleeping well, like you mentioned. And when I actually draw kind of the pyramid of health for folks, I put sleep at the the base because it really feeds into all of these other things. Um, Exercising your brain, which I want to come back to in just a second, connecting with family and friends. So vitally important that we have social connectedness um, and preventing social isolation, relaxation and reducing stress, controlling risk factors, and then getting involved with research, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about um, as well. Um, So I do want to talk about exercising your brain, but I've got a couple callers on the line that I want to get to. Um, They've been hanging on for me. So we're going to go to Gulfport and talk with Terry this morning. Hello, Terry. Hey, good morning. How are you all today? We are doing better than we deserve. How can we help you? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to uh, make a comment about worry and so forth. Uh, We have a family member who is 84 and sort of showing the signs of, you know, uh, early dementia. Mm -hmm. We're not sure. It's not been diagnosed. But she is a worry wart. She worries about everything. And I just wanted to make a comment Mm -hmm. that years ago... Uh, another family member of mine who's quite a student in these kind of things says, concern is healthy, worry is not. And mm-hmm. I've always remembered that. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, very much factors into that good stress, bad stress situation we think about. Um, you know, good stress moves us forward. You know, I, I, even though my son doesn't feel like his homework and deadlines are good stress, it makes him not be a slug. You know, so it does push <laughs> <All> him <right>. <laughs> forward. <laughs> but when those things start to take over our thoughts and our actions and we have a preoccupation with that stress or that worry, that's when it starts to be detrimental mental to our health. Cindy, you're, you're nodding your head. So I feel like you agree with me on that, right? I do agree. I do yeah. Agree. Yeah. So there's definitely um, a good and a bad type of stress. I like how you mentioned um, concern versus versus worry there. Those are all good things. Yes, yes it is. And I've always felt that, um, and I've lived a life of deadlines and stress and things like that. I'm mm-hmm. personally 73, but I, anytime I really start worrying about the deadline or whether something's going to, uh, go downhill or whatever, I always say, I need to be concerned about this, but mm. I do not need to worry about it. That's just unhealthy. And that's that's my little statement. Yeah, it's a great way to think about it. Cindy, do you have anything to add to that? No, I'll, one tip that has worked for me that I pass on to people, especially if you live in a world of deadlines and tasks and pressure about that, so that I can sleep well, I keep index cards in my bedside drawer and a pen so that if I wake up and I have to remember this, I have to remember that, oh, jot it down. Mm -hmm. And then I can turn my brain off Mm -hmm. about that particular test task or deadline. I can move on. Get back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to worry journaling, which I do with, with patients as well. It just takes some of the power out of the worry or the stress if you put it down on a piece of paper. It's like you're you're giving it um, a spot to be dealt with tomorrow so that it quits having worry babies in your brain. All right. All right, Terry, thank you so much for giving us that call. Yep. We appreciate it. All right, and we're going to quickly go on to um, our next caller in uh, Gaucher. Good morning, Tony. Hey, good morning, y'all. How are you? I'm very well. I'm just driving to work here. All right. A ticket. <laughs> don't don't do I don't that. Know, I don't know if Mississippi has a hands-free cell phone bar or not. I'm crossing over into Alabama. So anyway. I am not going to comment on that. It's more, it's more important to call it to your show. Yeah. <laughs> 
yes. right now. <laughs> All right. Well, good. What you got for me today? So um, would you guys agree that, you know, cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's is an epidemic? I mean, it, it seems like it's just everybody's getting it. I, I believe in Great Britain, Alzheimer's is now the number one killer of people. It's like number one. Mm. Um, and I could be wrong about that, but it's certainly way up there. Um, which brings me to a, a book. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. It's called The End of Alzheimer's by Dr. Dale Bredesen. I have not heard of that one, but I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Yes, it's called The End of Alzheimer's. Okay. Dr. Dale, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N. Okay. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere like that. And it's very eye-opening. It's a thorough analysis and breakdown of what Alzheimer's really is what the risk factors are, and, you know, some very innovative ways of treating it and maybe even curing it. Mm. And there are a lot of things that get missed, I think, in the uh, the traditional past. You know, there's certain genetic markers, mm. but it's, it's a lot more focused than just you know, the usual one. This guy, Dr. Pedersen, he's a medical doctor. He's got great credentials, you know, for what he's doing. Right. And uh, he's a long time studying it. He's helping his patients with it. And I think it's just a little ray of hope out there you know, that maybe, you know, we're not all going to get it and mm. suffer our own cognitive, you know, decline no right. matter what we do. Right. A lot of it is uh, hugely uh, diet. Diet is extremely important, much more than most people would get credit for. You know, you speak in my language when you start to talk yeah. about food as medicine. I, he, I'm there. And then he, and then he also um, has a very highly targeted uh, nutraceuticals, you know, like medically mm. prescribed right. uh, supplements, you know, that very highly targeted, you know, like D3, but a certain form of it. Right. Um, and other um, other nutrients, you know, that are just vital that, you know, our bodies probably just don't have enough of. And uh, so anyway, it's called The End of Alzheimer's by Dr. Dale Bredesen. Okay. And you can get it anywhere. And I've seen a copy of it. I turned my sister-in-law into it because her mother died of it, her sister. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, it's, it's just... Uh, rapid in, in her family, and so she knows about it, and she's checking it out too. So I think everybody should at least avail themselves of kind of what's out there, and a lot of the traditional methods and approaches just are not working. You know, they just uh, they miss a lot. They're not really as thoroughly uh, vetting, you know, like a patient's own profile. You know, they're not really looking at all the various factors that you know that they could look at, and he just lays it all out. And I highly recommend the book to you, your guests, and your listeners. Thank you so much for that. I'm definitely going to check it out. You be safe driving, all right? Yes, ma'am, I sure will. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Um, Briefly before we go to break, um, TJ, I know you were shaking your head, kind of that mention of Alzheimer's as an epidemic. Is it? Yes, yes. Tony brought up a good point. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, it's the fifth leading cause of death in the country if you remove uh, suicide Mm -hmm. and as well as in Mississippi. Um, For people over the age of 80, one in three. So it is a number one cause of death um, for individuals over the age of 80. But it is definitely um, aging is a primary cause. We're living longer. Um, Medicine has brought us a long way, but um, the disease has an opportunity to develop because we are living longer. So, yeah, but. All right, that's great. All right, we're going to go ahead and take our next break. If you've got a question or a comment, you can give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 When we come back, we're going to talk about how to exercise your brain.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. I'm joined today by Dr. Cindy Luther, who is also a family nurse practitioner. She practices at Rush Medical Group in Meridian. And TJ Harvey, who's the Interim Executive Director for Alzheimer Mississippi. And we've had some great conversation thus far about um, dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And before the break, we were talking about... Um, the notion of exercising your brain. How do we exercise our brain, TJ? Well, you, there's many ways you can exercise your brain. Reading more. Yeah. Um, I will have to tell my son. He's, <laughs> he's not happy about it right now. <laughs> and uh, if you're already an avid reader, uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, pick something up that's a little more, more difficult that makes you look up a word in the dictionary mm. or Google something, something that challenges you a little bit more. Um, crossword puzzles or puzzles in general. There's so many apps now that um, that you can download and participate in puzzles, participate in games with other people from around mm-hmm. the world, and doing those things. You know, keep the brain active, using those critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And again, once you've mastered one level, it just keep increasing um, the. Um, the activity level. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very important because once you master something, you know, you're not tapping into making those new synapses in the right. brain. So right. that's you know, important to remember. Um, learning a new language at any oh, age, um, that's challenging for the brain. <laughs> yes. um, it, you know, don't raise your blood pressure trying to learn it, but yeah. uh, but that, you know, it's, it's a good, there is data that has shown mm-hmm. um, that that can um, increase new synapses so that if you were to start developing symptoms or the disease, that you you would have different ways for your brain to connect um, to new to old thoughts mm-hmm. to new thoughts. So it's that is the the thought the theory behind um, challenging your brain with these new activities. Yeah, and it, that's very similar to physical exercise as well. You know, we tend to see folks who get into kind of like one pattern of exercise, and that's all they mm-hmm. do. Um, like for me. You know, I'm a Zumba instructor, and so I am not as physically challenged by Zumba as I used to be because I kind of have muscle memory Mm -hmm. and nerve memory for all those moves and all those different kinds of things. And so in order to maintain the level of fitness that I feel like is is healthy for me, I have to cross train and do other things so that I kind of keep my body guessing right and we got to keep our brain guessing a little bit there um you know one thing that i've heard other folks say is helpful um is maybe you know after retirement volunteering their time in maybe a skill that they did as work you know Mm -hmm. if they were in finance or banking or things like that then maybe volunteering on a board to you know be the treasurer or those kinds of things to still use that skill set that they have and keep that brain working on those different types of things right or often Sunday school, studying your yeah. Sunday school lesson. Be a Sunday school teacher. If depending on the stage their person is, mm-hmm. they may need to teach the children. Mm-hmm. But studying the children's lesson may be something that works for that person where they're not quite ready to stay with their adult peers. And then adult coloring that works in I different love ways. It. So coloring, you can also draw in your grandchildren, your mm-hmm. nieces and nephews. So then regardless yeah. of whether it's prevention that you're doing the coloring for, that's stress management, right? Meditation, or if you're 
advancing along mm-hmm. stages of memory decline. Mm-hmm. It's an activity, so it's socialization, right. plus it, it's total distraction. and takes people back to a place where they may have been more comfortable. Yeah, I use um, coloring as well for patients usually with um, sleep issues um, because when they get in the bed, kind of their thoughts go everywhere, and usually you pick up your phone or turn on the TV, and I'm trying to get people not, not to mm-hmm. do that. Um, and so coloring kind of is a, a kind of mindless mm-hmm. activity you know some folks um want to read in bed and then they get really involved in a book that's me and then it's like four o'clock in the morning and i'm like just one more page you know um but coloring tends to be something that that's a little bit easier stopped and it doesn't have to be those fancy adult coloring books either um i have a, a patient that i'm working with who does not like those she likes like a mickey mouse coloring book and you do you if that's what you like and that's what relaxes you you color that and that will be just fine but it does hit on multiple pillars of that brain health um there you know it's helping with the relaxation and stress it's helping with the sleep it's an exercise for your brain and if you're doing it like with a loved one like you mentioned then we've also got that social connectedness piece there on top of that so it's great activity all right let's go to cleveland and talk with kim this morning hello Hey, this is Tim. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, I kind of have a question. Um, I've I've been working, I I took care of both of my parents for about 12 years as they were descending into Alzheimer's, and and I photographed it the entire time. I'm a documentary photographer. Mm, Okay. And I'm I'm working on a book right now, and I'm trying to write mostly anecdotal information, my experience as a caregiver. And I'm just wondering from a, a medical perspective, would that be useful information? I'm a little nervous about putting that that uh, kind of uh, private information out there, but it seems like it's pretty valuable. Mm. You know, I think that it's important for other caregivers um, to, ha- you know, for them to have something, someone to connect to. Um, I think that it's very important for, you know, sometimes, especially in rural Mississippi, caregivers have isolation Mm. and social anxiety because they're not able to get out and and participate like they once were. So I think that that, the work you're talking about is just as important for the caregiver as it is, you know, and it's for for your own therapy. Yeah, I was going to echo on that. You know, I'd say write it for yourself first, um, you know, for, um, you know, you know, whatever process it is that's driving you to put those memories down on paper, put those activities down on paper and then put those pictures in and and write it in in that frame that it's it's for you and then live with it a little while and, you know, decide whether that's something that you want to share with the world. Um, and if it is, then I think it's something that other people are going to find um, that they're going to resonate with and find solace in. Um, but you have to write it for yourself first. I think that's a great suggestion. I'm, I'm trying to do that, but it's, uh, it's difficult to sit down and relive these memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it absolutely is. It absolutely yeah. is. Um, you know, I've written about um, my child's passing, and that's one of the hardest things to write. Um, but I wrote it for myself and where I was at that point in time. But then I've shared it with other grieving parents. And what we've found is the emotions are very similar and very much the same. And so it helped to decrease that isolation of feeling like you're the only person who's ever felt like that or the only person who's ever dealt with something like that. It is like a grieving process, yeah, isn't it? You it know, is. Yeah. Well, it thanks is. for your input. Absolutely. Thanks for giving us a call today. 
All right. And so that kind of brings me um, to the, the point of making sure that when we're dealing with individuals who have dementia or have Alzheimer's, that we don't just focus on them, that we focus on that caregiver piece, right? It's right. so very important that we take care of the person that's taking care of the other individual, right? And I know that's something that you're passionate about, right. TJ. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's so important for the caregiver to take a moment for themselves and not to feel like they shouldn't ask for help mm-hmm. or shouldn't accept help. Um, if a family member or a neighbor says, you know, I'll cook the dinner or I'll take your loved one to the park so you can go and have your hair done or do activities you need to take care of, take them up on it because they're not going to always be available. But you need that time to recharge and rejuvenate and take care of yourself. Um, we find an increase in um, health problems and chronic health problems and caregivers uh, because they are not taking care of themselves. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of someone else. So we really try to focus all, a good bit of our work on the caregiver as well. And we do have a conference coming mm-hmm. up um, on November the 8th. It's at First Baptist Church in downtown Jackson. It's a full one-day conference. It's free to the public, free to caregivers. Um, we do have professional um, credits available for $50 and Six hours for social workers, occupational therapists, nursing home administrators. Um, And, you know, we're going to cover topics on, uh, we'll have a speaker from Tipa Snow's Positive Approach to Care. Um, So interacting with a person with uh, cognitive impairment or dementia, uh, changing direction and behavior, and how that communication is going to change because of the deep disease process. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that person is not able to communicate the way they once were. Vocabulary skill, vocabulary words have lost, language skills are lost. Um, So learning new communication skills is very important. Music, the arts, and memory, uh, they're so many studies now that show that music can not only help a person have lucid moments, but can help with activities such as eating and getting ready. So we've seen overall improvement and the person's health mm. by incorporating music into their lives. Mm, absolutely. So that's just some of the topics that we'll have that yeah. day. And I'll push that information out again. That's Friday, November the 8th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. It is called Caregiver oh, Conference for the Caregiver, Navigating Alzheimer's. Uh, and if you ha- want more information about that, you can go to the Alzheimer's Mississippi website. That's www.alzms.org org and get some more information there or you can email me here at southern remedy healthy and fit that email address is fit at mpbonline.org and i'm happy to get you some more information about that that is a free conference for caregivers we're going to go ahead and take our last break of the hour now is a great time if you have a burning question to give us a call our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring when we come back we're going to talk about controlling risk factors for the development of alzheimer's disease we'll be back in just a few
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with Dr. Cindy Luther and TJ Harvey, and we are talking about Alzheimer's um, dementia today. Um, Before the break, we talked about a conference that's coming up, and if you want more information about that, you can always um, send me that email to fit at mpbonline.org. There's one other event that I want to make sure that we talk about, and that is um, an Alzheimer's walk that's coming up. Right, Cindy? When is that? The Jackson Walk will be the 2nd of November, registration at 7 a.m. It's at Liberty Park in Madison, Mississippi. Yeah, so that gets kind of two birds with one stone. You get um, some great information in support of Alzheimer's, but you also get to exercise your body, which we've talked about, can help um, uh, just keep your brain healthy. All right, Cindy, I know we wanted to make sure that we talked about a couple of risk factors for dementia, and they're they're not strangers. We, we know these risk factors because they're risk factors for lots of different things, but go ahead and talk to me about those. Uh, as with any condition... When we talk about risk factors, lowering risk, we talk about what you can change and what you cannot change. Right. Aging is a risk factor. The older a person is, the more likely they are to have dementia or Alzheimer's. Can't change that one. Right. Aging is positive. Uh, Family history, as my cardiologist says, I can't change your family history. Let's talk about lifestyle. Right. So we talk about exercise and and diet also. So the same thing that is good for your heart is good for your brain. So that, that's very positive. Uh, head injury is another risk factor that is can be modified. So you mm-hmm. want to reduce your risk. If you had a head injury as a child, you can't, cannot change that when you're 75. Right. It's a history that you have. But you can, as an adult, modify your risk of having the injury in the first place. In, in Mississippi, the two that I really would want to emphasize are controlling high blood pressure and diabetes. It's having a stroke right. is another risk factor. And of course, if your diabetes and your high blood pressure is not controlled, your cholesterol is not controlled, then your risk of stroke is higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like you said, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. So really paying attention to what we're eating, how much we're moving, our sleep, our stress, all of those different types of things can help uh, improve our overall health, and that in turn improves our brain health. All right, quickly, we're going to go over to Mobile and talk with Bob. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good. What can we do for you today? Uh, well, your uh, your uh, show partner uh, just referred to a brain injury mm-hmm. as a, a cause of Alzheimer's, and I, that's what I was basically calling about, just to see... Um, you know, if that's really a risk factor when you're uh, growing older, is um, uh, I've had several uh, injuries. You know, when I was younger and where I got knocked out, mm. and uh, uh, just wondering, is that going to cause me some problems later on? You know, there are studies that. Uh, that are going on that show that there is an increased risk of developing the symptoms or the disease process of Alzheimer's disease. Again, it doesn't mean you are, but you are at an increased risk because of those past injuries. So it's important to keep check on your cognitive health over, you know, over the course of aging. 
Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that call. And, it, you know, it's important that when we're, we mentioned when we're talking about risk factors, just because we have a risk factor for something doesn't mean it's causative of that particular um, disorder. It just means it is um, correlated with it or it's associated with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean causation there. All right. Very quickly, we're going to go over to Hattiesburg and get to James. Good morning, James. Good morning. I just had a quick question. Sure. I wanted to know if there were any studies that suggested a link between a person's level of socialization, particularly with uh, close people, family or friends, and the development of the disease later in life. Great. Thank you for that question. That's a, a great one. What you guys got? Uh, yeah, I mean, social is a person that is confined or does not have access to socialization, you know, whether it's a with a religious group or with family and friends. Um, there again, there has been correlation of them developing, um, having cognitive decline, having the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. It can um, maybe increase the 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 disease process, but it's not again, it's not the cause of of the disease. Right, just one of those risk factors that we can work on and try to increase. And that goes for heart health and metabolic health as well. There's lots of links between social connectedness and kind of the broader term of resiliency. Um, And that's actually why it's one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine um, that we're taught to assess and taught to write um, treatment plans around is how we foster um, social connectedness and the prevention of social isolation in the either treatment or prevention of chronic disease. So it definitely has a a seat at the table, um, but it's just kind of one piece uh, of the puzzle there. Mm -hmm. So that was a great one uh, there, James. Thank you so much for giving us that call this morning. As always, this show just goes so quickly, and we don't get a chance to cover absolutely everything that we want to talk about. But if you guys have a question or a comment that you didn't get into us today, um, or if you have any suggestions for any other books I need to check out, I always love to get those because I am a reader. You can send me those at fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to get you in touch with um, the right individual to answer that question. I do want to make sure we um, talk about those two events coming up very, very quickly, that Alzheimer's Walk that is in um, uh, Ridgeland, actually, um, on uh, November the 2nd at 7 a.m. There's a 5K and a 10K, and you can walk or run it. Um, that's good news for um, for uh, me because I might think I can do a 10K, and then about halfway through with that, I'm going to have to slow it on down a little bit. Um, but that's at Liberty Park. Um, registration's at 7, and the actual walk begins at 8.30. Um, and then also that conference for caregivers that is on November 9th as well. Okay. For more information about any of those, you can email me at fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go to the Alzheimer's Mississippi website at www.alzms.org there. All right. Thank you, Cindy, for coming in today. And TJ Thanks as well. For inviting us. You've been a wealth of information. Thank you to our callers and our listeners today, as well as our fantastic producer, Kevin Farrell, who recently had a birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin. Uh, thank you for listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. 